0: In our talk of Sabbath, I had actually intended to prepare something that I didn't. Um, But before we actually get started, um, I want to share a list of some things with you. Some of you who may be interested, um, as we've been talking about Sabbath, we've kind of been in lots of places walking through this arc of conversation. Starting with the idea of of stopping and then resting and then delighting and then reconnecting with Christ. And today we'll hit that last piece of where we want to go with that. Um, But in the process of prepping and trying to get ready for this, other than using commentaries uh, for each of the passages that we've used, uh, I have also been trying to read through several books. To get deeper and deeper into what Sabbath is and how it works. You've noticed that over the last few weeks, um, I've quoted more books than probably is typical uh, for me or for us. Um, and some of you have wondered what those... Those might be. So let me mention some of those names and those titles, just if that study interests you, uh, on how to read deeper. Um, one of them that, that is beautiful and has been for me for a long time, it's a great book to read kind of devotionally because it's broken into short sections, uh, is Wayne Muller's book called Sabbath, an old book. Uh, I don't remember when it was published, but it's been around for a long time. Um, it actually, Only just became available electronically in the last year or so. So it's one of the ones I have a hard copy for because I couldn't get it on a Kindle back uh, when I first read it. But Wayne Muller's Sabbath is phenomenal. Um, Pete Cazero's Emotionally Healthy Works, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and and The Emotionally Healthy Leader um, do a great job with dealing with it, and we have used those. Um, Matthew Sleeth wrote a book called 24-6 that we have mentioned several times. We will again today. And then AJ Swoboda. Uh, wrote Subversive Sabbath, which is one that we've also quoted uh, several times. Um, I've also looked a time or two, and we've used Ruth Haley Barton's Sacred Rhythms, uh, which is phenomenal. It talks about spiritual disciplines altogether. Um, I think that's it as far as books that we've, that we've looked at. But I just want to let you know those. If they interest you uh, and you didn't catch them or you'd like to know which ones they were, um, Come ask me and we can talk more about them. Uh, If you just want a primer read, a good, simple, kind of some devotional reading on what Sabbath is, it's hard to beat Muller's book. Um, I've not actually spent as much time in it this time, but it has been a source of kind of comfort and strength and renewal for me the the two or three or four times that I've picked it up and read it. Um, So it's a great, great, easy book to read um, if you want to dive further into the conversation of Sabbath. All right. You ready to finish our conversation on Sabbath? Some of you are going, yes, please. When this idea of Sabbath came into being, the Israelites would have been surrounded by numerous different people groups. And each of those people groups, each of those countries, each of those uh, gatherings of people having their own religions their own gods, sometimes one, sometimes multiple. It's common if you look back in history and you study some of the history of religious practices, whether they're religions that are still around or they're religions that are gone, you'll find in many of them some version of a creation story, some way in which that people and that faith uh, needed to explain where the world has come from, where they as people had come from. So they have these creation stories. Many of them have lots of overlapping aspects and overlapping concepts that come into them. Along with defining where both the world and the people came from, they often also clarify what it looks like for the ongoing relationship between that God and those people will look like. What it looks like for them to coexist and and what it means for them to understand one another and, and what the drives of moving forward are. There's a lot we could talk about with regards to that. When we started our conversation, we looked at, at what is our story, our story of creation, the Jewish Christian um, story of creation. We find it in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We read the first telling of that, which is in Genesis 1. It goes into Genesis 2. There's actually a second telling has some variations in it. Um, I think illustrating some different aspects of who God is. And in Genesis 2, we find a second one. We didn't read that, but again, those our story of creation is there. And as we look at the, the creation stories of our, the creation story of our faith, and the creation stories of other faiths, we find that there's some some unique things about our story of creation. There's several unique characteristics of our understanding of what God did when God brought the world and people and all of creation into being. I want to read a, a longer quote, because just trying to summarize it won't do it justice, but it's a longer quote from, from A.J. Swoboda's book, from Subversive Sabbath, um, as he talks about one of the most significant deviations that our story, our scriptures have from other creation stories that are out there. It says, in other ancient Near Eastern creation myths, people were created for the purpose of being worked to the bone, to accomplish the fiats of the gods. This was particularly the paradigm of the Egyptians. Unlike those other gods, however, Yahweh, our God, that's the word the Old Testament uses as it says, Lord, Yahweh, commands that humanity is to work hard and rest well. In no other creation narrative do the gods provide this kind of rest to creation. No other God gave a break. No other God carries the well-being of creation as close to the heart as this one. Again, imagine what first impression that would have given to the Akkadians, Egyptians, and um, Phoenicians about the God of the Bible and the people who worshipped him. He continues, The biblical creation account essentially served as a theological rebuttal to all other gods who never allowed anyone to rest. In the restless world, Yahweh... Required rest. Again, imagine what kind of first impression that would have given to an ancient person's understanding of Yahweh. The God of Scripture not only rests himself, but invites the world to rest with him. From the very beginning, Sabbath was unique, it was weird, it was unexpected. The God of Israel showed himself as different from every other God on the face of the earth by inviting and creating this concept of Sabbath, this idea that his creation would come and rest. And if we read through the story of Sabbath and the scriptures, the, the overlapping times that we see it, we find that the people of God always struggled staying faithful to this practice of Sabbath. Today, Sabbath is still weird. It's unexpected even for us. It's difficult. It doesn't fit the norms of our life or our culture or the ways in which we have been taught to exist or believe that life functions. Sabbath still today declares that our God is different from every other God on the face of the earth. And... We still struggle practicing Sabbath faithfully. It seems to me it's become even more difficult for us as we recognize that our world is full of a multitude of gods. Now you and I perhaps don't struggle as much with the gods of other clear religions. Those gods seem to be easy to identify, easy to stay away from as we pursue our understanding of the one true God. But there are these other gods that are all around us, the gods of our culture. And it seems to me that those gods have become much more difficult for you and I to evade. Much more difficult for us to stay away from, for us to avoid. Much harder for us to even realize when we've submitted to the ways of those gods. Sometimes we do so not even recognizing that we've taken the gods of our culture and we blended them with our God. And we believe that they're one and the same and we don't even recognize the mistakes in that thinking or what's happened to us. But hear me. When money, or time, or the pursuit of fame, or our children, or the American dream, or nationalism, or our desire for success, or the need to accomplish, or even personal preference, or the list could go on and on and on. When any of those things take precedence over the way God has called us to live our lives then those things have become a God to us. They have replaced, or at the very least, joined God on the throne of our heart, on the throne of our life. Those things have at that point become idols for us. I don't really like that list of things because as I read them, I think, oh no, I see them fighting for my attention, for my control, fighting to convince me that following God perhaps is not all that important or that there are a multitude of ways that I can blend that with this. But one of the things that happens when you and I stay deeply committed to this seemingly impossible practice of Sabbath is that we proclaim that we follow one God and that that one God is the God of Jesus. We declare to the world that we trust God with our time and with our money, with our possessions, with our life and with all of the world in our commitment to this practice, this practice of stopping, of resting, of delighting, of reconnecting with Christ this practice of sabbath over and over again so yes sabbath is hard because following jesus with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength is hard sabbath is hard because fully submitting our lives to the lordship of jesus is hard sabbath is hard Because so many gods beg for our attention. So many gods beg for our submission. Matthew Sleeth in his book 24 6 says, honoring the Sabbath is not only an act of faith these days, it's an act of courage. Sabbath stands in opposition to all of the gods of our culture. Sabbath is drastically countercultural. And it's one of the reasons that we talk about it over and over again. For the last five weeks here, several times over the last few years, that's why we bring it up over and over again in our small groups. Is because if we can come to an understanding of this core practice, of the declaration that it is of our faith, of the commitment that it is that we have to God, that there's something powerful that happens in that. That's why it's so significant to our spiritual journey, because it makes it clear which God we serve. It makes it clear where our commitment is. It proclaims our faith to the world. Now, if this is the only sermon of the five that you're hearing us talk about in Sabbath, you can take some of the things that I'm saying and run in all kinds of directions that aren't at all what we've said over five weeks. You can bring into it all kinds of legalistic realities, all kinds of understandings that it has to happen here, it has to happen in this way don't do that. There's a reason we've been talking about it for five weeks, not just once. There's a reason the scriptures talk about it 58 times, not just once. It's because the fullness of it is hard to grasp. Pete Cazero in his Emotionally Healthy books, he says this, Make no mistake about it, keeping the command of Sabbath is both radical and extremely different, difficult in our everyday lives. It cuts to the core of our spirituality, the core of our convictions, the core of our faith, the core of our lifestyles. Friends, this is why we've spent so much time on this. This cuts to the core of our faith. It cuts to the core of who we are, of who we are as we're trying to follow after Christ. And yet we also know that this is true. By the world's standards... This is up there too. Pull this up. By the world's standards... It is inefficient, unproductive, and useless. Now, if over the last several weeks you have done any experimenting with the idea of Sabbath, whether it was 24 hours or it was 3 hours or it was a portion of your day or whatever it was, if you've done any experimenting with it, my guess is you felt this. It's inefficient, it's unproductive, it's useless. I do, all the time. Not necessarily every week, but lots of weeks. I look back and I go, wow, I completely wasted a day because our culture works so hard to convince us of that reality. The gods of our culture have convinced us of all that we need to do. So yes, it is inefficient, it's unproductive, it is useless. I feel that. I know that pain. I've been in that pain and I recognize that battle for my own soul. Yesterday I did so. As I kept toiling between, I need to do this, whoa, no way, that's going to drive me into all kinds of work things that I don't want to do today. But back and forth all day long was this wrestling match for my soul. Another quote that he makes, because we would also believe that this is true. Observing the Sabbath, we affirm God is the center and the source of our lives. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end of our existence. Valley, isn't this what our faith is all about? If there's anything we long to proclaim to the world, isn't it exactly this? Isn't this what you and I had in mind when we decided that we will become followers of Jesus? Our confession, our commitment, it's exactly this, isn't it? That God is the center and the source of our lives. This one's yes. This one's no. Yeah. Again, small room. I need you to talk up a little bit. I don't have Aaron back there. Willie, you're being quiet today. It is the commitment of our faith that God is the center and the source of our lives. And that's what we communicate when we come to this place of saying Sabbath will be a part of what I do to stand in opposition to every other God in society. And yet that doesn't change and it's incredibly difficult. It is so hard to get to the place that God is truly the center and the source of our life. Not just with Sabbath, but with so many faith practices that we've been called to. With life in general, with deciding how we'll spend our days, with deciding what we'll do for for life or work or jobs or, or a multitude of things. It is so hard to come to the place that God is the center and the source. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. It does not mysteriously become easier for me because I've decided that I'm going to spend my life in ministry. It is hard and it is consistently hard. And yet, that doesn't mean that we get to stop. Not just because it's difficult that we get to stop pursuing the things of God. Some of you have asked over the last couple of weeks. How is it that Jesus and the New Testament have changed the understanding of what's happening on Sabbath. Some have said, didn't Jesus come and and dissolve what was happening in the Sabbath? The passage you just read, isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't Jesus dissolve this practice? Didn't Jesus come and free us from the law and Sabbath is Old Testament law and now we've been freed from that? And if some version of these are true, doesn't that mean that Sabbath practice is is gone? That's not what we do anymore. That's not the way that we do life anymore. Sabbath is no longer around. Some of you have asked versions of that or, or wondered about that or questioned about that. Some of you directly, some of you in our small groups in different places. So hear from me very clearly. No... Jesus in no way dissolved the practice of Sabbath. Jesus in no way abandoned the practice of Sabbath. Jesus had a deep, deep commitment to Sabbath practice. Both because he was a faithful Jewish man and because he believed it was significant in him becoming all that God wanted him to be. So frequently as we read Jesus' story, we watch him move away from the crowds, move away from the people, move away from the center of even his ministry life. Even on his most productive and effective days, we watch as Jesus walks away from those things. And he goes and he spends time recentering and refocusing, resting and reconnecting with the Father. Jesus, God in the flesh, needed to take time away to reconnect with the Father. Jesus practiced Sabbath regularly. So what Jesus did is he didn't come dissolve. He didn't come change. He didn't come get rid of Jesus came and he added a new fullness to the law. And this was really hard for the religious elites of the day. They wanted to have a a conversation with him about what this meant theologically. How do you put this into practice? How do you go to work on this? What are all the ins and outs of what that means? But Jesus seemed consistently unwilling to have a theological debate with them. Over and over again as they tried, Jesus would not go there. Jesus was more interested in transformation than he was the theology of Sabbath. He was more interested in the idea that Sabbath was going to change people than he was the theology of exactly how it happened. So he wouldn't debate with them what for sure was in and what for sure was out. What exactly could be done and what couldn't be done. Jesus saw all of this as a day of transformation. Swoboda reminds us, Jesus seemed to believe that the Sabbath was an ideal day to heal and restore broken people. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand that's in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. He cast out an unclean spirit in Mark and in Luke. He healed the sick in Mark. He healed a man with dropsy in Luke. He healed a man who was ill for 38 years in the book of John. And he healed a man born blind also in the book of John. For Jesus, Sabbath was about transformation. It was about healing. It was about renewal. It was about reconnecting with the love of God. Sabbath was about the gospel. Sabbath is for us. And Sabbath is for the world. So as we wrap up this conversation of Sabbath, this conversation we've been having for several weeks, I want to hit one last significant reality of what I think is supposed to happen in our Sabbath practice. Sabbath is very much about our personal renewal as we've been talking about. We need to stop. We need to rest. We need to delight. We need to reconnect with Jesus. However, Sabbath is bigger than us. Sabbath is not a call that you and I stop working forever. Sabbath is not about us not pursuing the work of Jesus or the work of the gospel at all times, in all ways. In fact, the rest of Sabbath is supposed to empower us to do so. Sabbath is a form of, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a way of commissioning. It commissions us into this place that we join God in redeeming and restoring and recreating the dreams that God has always had for His creation. Watchman Nee in an old book called "Sit," ooh, I went blank. Sit, walk, stand. I was about to call it sit, stand, walk. Sit, walk, stand. It says, whereas God worked six days and then enjoyed His Sabbath rest, Adam began his life with the Sabbath. For God works before He rests, while man must first enter into God's rest and then alone. Can he work? Several weeks ago, we quoted uh, Pete Scazzaro as he talked about one of the dangers of Sabbath is legalism. In his book, he also talks about the opposing danger that can come in, which is laziness. Sabbath is not a promotion of laziness. Never was, never is, never supposed to be. Sabbath is not in any way a rejection of work. In fact, you and I were created to join God in his work. So, Sabbath done well reminds us of this. Sabbath done rightly restores us for this work. Sabbath that is holy propels us into the work of God. Swoboda again says, Sabbath rest assumes work. That is, the, the Bible has a word for Sabbath minus any work laziness. Likewise, the Bible has a word for work without a Sabbath. Slavery. Sabbath reminds us that we exist as co-laborers with God. We are not slaves. But we are also not pawns. We are partners. We are co-laborers. So Sabbath is this beautifully difficult countercultural practice that communicates to the world we are Jesus people it's an opportunity for us to live drastically different from the enti- from the rest of society it is a space for you and i to fall more deeply in love with god and then to turn and to love others more boldly more fully more appropriately Sabbath is an opportunity for us to be transformed so that we can then live transformed. And friends, our world needs to see some transformed people. Our world needs to see a God that looks different from every other God in our culture, every other God in our society. And our world needs to see that those that follow this God, those that call themselves Christians, that Christ followers are different From every other aspect of our culture. Because we are driven by Jesus and Jesus alone. Our world needs to understand that God is opposed to slavery of any shape, form or fashion. That our God is deeply committed to rest. That our God is deeply committed to love. Our world needs to see a God and a people that look different. We, too, make a proclamation of our faith in deciding that one day a week, one day a week, we will fully give to Christ and we will stop and we will rest and we will delight and we will reconnect with who Jesus is. And then that we will be pushed out of that so that you and I can fully experience and then demonstrate Jesus' offer to the world. In Matthew 11, he said, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Now that passage reminds us that there is very clearly a yoke. There is work involved. There are expectations connected with what it means for you and I to follow Jesus. And the reality is that that work is overwhelming. The expectations placed on the church are staggering if we just read the scriptures looking only for the requirements and the expectations and the work. And sometimes we come to the place of going, how could Jesus say that his, that his yoke is light, his burden is easy. It sounds so intense because the work is significantly lightened when it comes out of our Sabbath. The work is significantly lightened when Jesus is leading it forward. The work is deeply changed when we grasp the reality that God did not create us to be slave labor. We were never created to be worked to the bone. God created us to be partners. God created us to love us. God created us to be loved by us. God created us so that we could exist in His presence. God created us so that we could join him in changing the world. So we have been gifted rest. We have been commanded Sabbath. And God uses Sabbath to transform us into holy people, into holy partners. And the challenge of Sabbath for you and for me is that we could join God in God's rest. And... That we could join God in God's work that comes from that rest. Stop and rest. Delight. Reconnect with Jesus. And be commissioned to go out as his partners. Pray with me. Jesus, we ask that... You would restore our souls. That you would renew our being. God, I ask that you would make us a people. Substantially, drastically, clearly. Driven by something different than what drives the majority of our culture. I ask that we would be a people driven by the call of Christ. A commitment to your kingdom, to your ways, and to your gospel. God, we ask that the world would see something different in us. And that our Sabbath practice would bring that truth alive in us and then send us out as your partners. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Amen.